0: Thank you for joining us today on the Hope Church LV podcast. We are excited that you came across this message. The sermon you are about to listen to is from our teaching series, From Two Through Four, where we explore God's plan for fueling his mission. If you are joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit HopeChurchLV.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today.
1: Good morning, Hope Church family. Go ahead and have a seat. Open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 3. we got a lot of work to do in Malachi chapter 3, the Old Testament book of Malachi, and as you're turning there, as always, I do wanna say, if I hadn't got a chance to meet you, I would love the opportunity. Out uh, I, I, After our service, I'll be in the lobby every week. I get to meet new people, people that have been here for a while that we just hadn't met. I'd love the opportunity to do so. I, many of you know this who know me, but my wife, Candace, and I, we started dating when we were 17 years old. Real quick for the guys in the back, I'm gonna need that clock going, or we will be here all day long, and they gotta eat some lunch, go watch the Pro Bowl. Uh, Does anyone watch the Pro Bowl? Okay, I digress. Here we go. Uh, My wife, Candace, and I started dating when we were 17. And what you might not know about my wife, Candace, is that she was raised by a single mom here in Las Vegas who was in a part of the service industry. Like many people in our church, the people in the service industry make their money on other people's generosity, gratuity, tips. So here's what that meant for me. As I pursued Candace, I knew on that very first date it was a date, yes, but it was also a test, okay? I knew if we go to a restaurant and I'm a stingy tipper, this relationship probably doesn't have much of a future. So I knew that going in, praise God, I had some wisdom. And so I, I flexed a little bit on my tip at that Mexican restaurant. And I guess it worked because here we are 19 years later going strong. But uh, okay, amen, yeah, amen, marriage, good, uh, my wife, so, but here's the deal. Like, that was a big deal for her because she seriously, I mean, like many of you, you that's how you primarily make your money is other people's generosity. But I don't think it's just people who were raised by single parents in the service industry that makes us like generosity. In fact, some of you have probably seen this, but exorbitant amounts of generosity, pictures of generosity, they, they tend to go viral because there's just something about it that we love. In fact, we're drawn to these incredible stories of generosity. Some of you have probably seen it. Well, there'll be a, a, a picture or a video of a server at a restaurant and family goes there and maybe spends a couple hundred dollars on dinner, but then just leaves a, a ridiculously generous tip to where somebody films the server when they see it, or there's a picture of the bill and it kind of goes viral. It's on the front of news websites. Why? Because there's just something in us that just loves the good news of exorbitant generosity in the midst of a lot of bad news there's lines at starbucks that are called pay it forward lines i have not been blessed to be a part of one of these maybe you have but the movie way back in the day pay it forward it's this idea as you've been given a gift you've been given generosity to pay that generosity forward and so i've heard about it where there's you know 75 million people at starbucks like there always is in the drive through and Somebody decides, hey, I'll pay for my drink, but I'm also gonna pay for the person behind me. And it just keeps going and going and going. And then of course there's always that guy. (laughs) The one that's gotta stop it. Don't be that guy, okay? Like, sir, everyone's paid five cars in. Would you like to to bless the person behind you? And they say, no, I'll just take my free drink and be on my way. Don't be that guy. In fact, if you are a follower of Jesus, please don't be that guy because you drive away and you got a Jesus follower sticker on the back of your car. Don't be that guy. But we love this idea of generosity. And here's why I start that way today is because I actually believe it's not just that we get in our feels when we hear these stories. I actually believe we were hardwired to love generosity. Hardwired to, to see those amazing, extravagant pictures of generosity and, and be moved to emotion. And the reason I believe we are hardwired for that is because we were made in the image of the most generous being in all the universe. Some of you know this, who know your Bible. In Genesis, the early pages of scripture, it tells us that every human being, not just the ones that love God and are Christians, every human being bears the image of, of God Himself. We are all made in God's image, and He is the most generous being in the universe. So I believe it's literally in us to love and, and appreciate radical generosity. In fact, if you are a follower of Jesus, the, the core central message of our faith is a message of generosity. I mentioned it last week, but I actually want to put it on the screen today. The most famous famous Bible verse in all the world, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he, say that, last, that word out loud, gave. For God so loved the world that he was moved to generosity. He gave. What did he give? His only son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish. See The fact that you are a follower of Jesus today, you may not put it this way, but I want to remind you is because God is generous. He gave his only son so that we would not perish but have everlasting life. And so I just wanted to start this way today because we're going to talk about some financial generosity in a moment. But I wanted to start this way because I believe there may be some people in the room that don't need to hear about financial generosity. You need to hear about the generosity of our God, that he so loved you. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we're so glad you're here. And in just a minute, we're going to jump into some some Jesus follower family business, if you will, and talk about some discipleship things. But the first thing you need to hear is that our God is a generous God. And he paid for the sin that so trips and traps you up in your life. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, the first thing you need to hear is that God is a generous God who sent his son to pay the penalty in your place so that you didn't have to carry the sin and shame you carry. This idea of generosity is in us because our God is a generous God. I start this way because we are in a series right now as a church. We started it last week. I encourage you, I'm not going to re-preach last week's message. We got a lot to cover today. So if you hadn't watched online from last week, I encourage you to go online and watch it. But we are in the second week, the final week of a series called From To Through Forward, God's plan for fueling his mission. And last week, we looked at the first part of what we believe from Scripture that plan is, and it's actually these, these four words that we've talked about in this, in this title. We believe everything comes from the Lord. Again, you can go back and listen to this message, but every single thing you and I have was a gift from the Lord. He provides everything we have, but he gives it to his people. This is the idea of stewardship, the Bible word for managing God's stuff. We tackled those two topics last week. Encourage you to go on and listen from the Lord to his people. And this week, we will study this idea of through the church, generosity, that God's plan, one aspect of it is stewardship through the local church. But ultimately, all of this is for the world that God's kingdom would be expanded all over the world, that God's resources that he gives to his people through the church would go for the world to expand the kingdom of God. And I won't go into all the detail of why we felt led to do this series, but I do wanna help you just a little bit understand the why behind this series. Because even some of you right now who weren't here last week, maybe you feel a little anxious about talking about money in church. You just need to know you are a part of a church service right now that for 22 years, we have been unashamed about lovingly and consistently preaching what the Bible says about financial generosity. For over 22 years, we have taught these principles and shown followers of Jesus, discipled followers of Jesus, how to see this book in light of all, all the things, how to see our things in light of what it says in this book, rather, to, to see what God has given us. Many of our lives have been changed. That's another reason we're doing this series, personal discipleship. We have seen this change our lives. But also, we said not just the history of our church, but also our current economy. As many of you know, the, the situation looks bleak depending on who you talk to. If you flip on MSNBC right now and see all the stats, there's a lot of fear and we want to remind our church family when we are trusting in God, we do not need to fear because he is not freaking out about what's going on on Wall Street right now. He is not freaking out about what's happening with your portfolio. Again, we might, but that's why we trust in Jesus. So when the world says we should be scared as followers of Jesus, we can trust him that he will take care of his kids and the last thing we said about why we're doing this series is just the biblical reality that God made everything, including all of our possessions. So he knows best how we should steward and manage those. So if we're looking to for some insight on how to take care of his money, we should look to the maker of it. So this series from two through four, I believe, and it has already, already hearing stories about how God is freeing some people up. Freeing some people up on some some wrong ideas they had about the resources they have been given. So this week we're going to tackle generosity for the mission. Specifically resources through the church for the world. We see this financial generosity not just in big tips at restaurants or in pay it forward lines at Starbucks. We actually see financial generosity all over the Bible. Specifically, in the Old and New Testament, there's these word pictures that we get from the original languages, Hebrew and Greek, to show us generosity. But at Hope, and some of you know this, we have a favorite. One of the word pictures, specifically in the Greek language, of generosity is this idea of living life with everything on your fingertips. See, when we start to close our hands, we start to think the things that God gave us belongs to us and we own it. But this picture of generosity is us opening our hands and saying, God, everything I have belongs to you. How do you want me to use it? Specifically, we've defined generosity this way over the years. Generosity is living life, always looking for opportunities to make a difference in the lives of others. This is the idea of everything loosely on our fingertips. Understanding everything we have comes from the Lord, but he's given it to us to manage to steward. And as you look through the scriptures and also through church history, even into this very moment, one of the ways we live that way is by giving our resources through the local church. To the point where we have a catchphrase. We actually said it earlier in our service, and some of you guys you finished the sentence. We say it like this: we don't give to a church, we give through a church as an investment in God's kingdom being expanded locally and That's what we're going to dive into today. And I know some of you are nervous. And I just want to say, I believe God might free some of you up today. We've already had two great services as we dive into the scriptures to see what he might be teaching us. So Malachi chapter 3, we're going to be there in just a moment. But anytime we jump into or parachute into a text of scripture, we always want to give you some context. What are we reading in the scriptures? Many of you Bible students will know Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. In fact, in a lot of ways, the book of Malachi kind of summarizes everything that's gone on in the Old Testament. If you read your Bible, you know the Old Testament is full of people over and over and over and over again, letting God down and not being committed to God. And yet over and over and over again, he is faithful and remains faithful to his people. And so at the very end of the Old Testament, again, the prophet Malachi is calling God's people to repentance. He's reminding them of the faithfulness of God despite their unfaithfulness. And I specifically looked at the passage of scripture we're gonna look at today. And one of the the commentaries I read gave some insight I thought was helpful. One of the commentaries I read said that the people that Malachi was speaking to specifically had three areas of trouble that they were dealing with. The first area is they were financially insecure. They were really insecure with how it related to their finances. The second area is they had a lot of religious skepticism. They were kind of a little sketched out by what was happening in the religious, religious world at the time. And then thirdly, there was just a lot of disappointment, personal disappointment. As I read that commentary this week, I thought, wow, not much has changed in 3,000 years. There's many people, maybe even in this room, who are dealing with a lot of financial insecurity. A lot of people may be here and you're a little skeptical about everything that's happening right now, even in this moment, religiously skeptical. And there's some of you that are here that just keep seeming to to stumble after personal disappointment and personal disappointment and personal disappointment. So I believe as God was calling his people to repentance, challenging them pretty hard, as we'll see I believe he also has a word for us today. So Malachi chapter three, we're gonna read verses eight through 10. And before it goes on the screen and before we read it, I wanna wanna say that this is actually God speaking because you're gonna see he comes in pretty hot and it's God himself speaking right when we jump into the text. So here's what God says in Malachi three, eight through 10. Word of the Lord says, "'Will man rob God?' Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test. We're going to unpack all this. Says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I wanna take several moments today and just unpack this passage of scripture. And really, to do that, I wanna ask three questions. Specifically on this area of generosity, I wanna ask and answer three questions. Here is the first one Why should I give? That's a good question we should ask in this conversation. Maybe some of you are asking and would not be so bold to say you're asking that, but why? Why should I give? And I think we get a couple reasons here from this text and all over scripture. And the first one is is pretty straightforward. In fact, it's a warning. Here's the first reason I think we should give from this passage of scripture. My lack of giving robs God and limits my involvement in his activity. And I'll be willing to bet many of you did not come to church wanting to hear a statement like that. (laughs) But here we are. And I believe it's important for us to make our way through this passage because that is actually a motivator is why we should give. We don't wanna rob God. I don't know a lot of people that would say, sign me up. I wanna rob God. Here's what the text says because that's exactly what God tells these people they're doing. Look at verse 8. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. We'll talk about that second part here in just a moment. But this idea of robbing God, again, the Old Testament was primarily written in the Hebrew language. And like many language crossovers, we understand this, that there's actually a few Hebrew words that we all translate into the English word rob. So there's many Hebrew words for the English word rob. The first English or Hebrew word that we've translated rob is a, is a word that means to, to take by force. Another way to say that is to steal. That's not the word that Malachi uses here. There's a second Hebrew word that means to take by oppression, or another word for that in our culture is extortion. That's not the word that Malachi uses here. You see, there's a third Hebrew word that has been translated rob in This passage, and it's a word that means to take by deception. Our word for it in our culture is embezzlement. That's a pretty strong statement from the Lord that you have embezzled my money. I had to look it up because I'd heard that word, but honestly, I'd only heard it with Ponzi schemes and stock market scandals. I didn't hear it really in the context of my own life, so I looked up in the, in the dictionary, what does embezzle mean? Here's what it means. To secretly take money that is in your care or that belongs to someone else and use it for your own purpose. This is a pretty strong statement that God Almighty is telling his people. You are taking my things. You think it's a secret, but I see you. And you are using it For your own purpose, you are embezzling my money. Listen, for us, we have to think about this and let this bear weight on our lives because God has established in scripture a very clear way that we are to first give a portion to him and his activity. I think Malachi just told us to not do this is to embezzle the Lord's money, what belongs to him. If I choose to, to ignore what God is calling me to in this area, God would say, why are you taking what belongs to me and using it for your own purposes? We miss out on what God is wanting to do through us, and we actually rob him of his money. But there's a second reason I think we should give, and it's very encouraging. I hope you are encouraged. You're saying, thank you, God. Give me some encouragement. Number two, God's activity is fueled by the giving of God's people. That's a reason we should give. Everything we see God doing in our midst, that's actually fueled by the giving of God's people. We see this all over Scripture, and we see this again in verse 10. He tells the people, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. This is this idea of sustenance, provision. This is what God was doing in the moment. He's saying, bring the full tithe. Why? So you can get in on that. This word bring is a, some of you know this who who are English majors and we talk about it all the time at Hope, this word bring is an imperative. What does that mean? It means it's not a suggestion. It's something, it's a command. God is saying, I'm commanding you to do this. What I'm not saying is, if it makes sense to you in your conventional wisdom, then maybe bring the tithe to the storehouse. He's not saying, you know, if you've done all the, all the ones and zeros and carried the five and everything works out and you got a little extra left over, then maybe if you feel like it, bring my stuff to the storehouse. No, he's saying it's a, it's a command, bring, it's, a, it's an imperative. Now, I know what some of you may be thinking. When you start talking about commands in regards to your money, you start to get a little frustrated, a little possessive. Don't talk about commanding me with my stuff. Again, I would encourage you to check out last week's message where we spent a lot of time talking about the reality that there really is no such thing as my stuff. There really is no such thing as your stuff. As hard as you worked, as much as you've toiled, everything you and I have has been a gift given to us by the Lord. I want to do a little classroom participation here today. Okay, I wanna break up the time together today. I wanna I'm gonna ask a question, and if you would say the answer to this question is yes, I simply want you to raise your hand and not be ashamed about it, okay? Here's the question. If you have been blessed in any way, encouraged, fueled in your faith, if you would say this church has helped me as I tried to follow Jesus, would you just raise your hand nice and high? Amen. Keep your hand up. I know it's awkward. People are like, people are looking at me. Everyone's got their hand up. Praise God they're looking at you, okay? I actually want everyone to look around the room. What I want you to see today, because I want to make this real for some of you. As hands are up all over the room. Okay, you can go ahead and put them down. If you've given through this church, If you have invested money in this church, the money that God has given you and you have faithfully invested money in any way, shape, or form in this church, I want you to see not only this service, but last service and Thursday, a room packed full of people raising their hand to say, God has used this church in my life. You have been a part of that. I'm not just saying that to make you feel good. It's the facts See, a lot of people think a church like Hope, especially it's a bigger church, people come here and they think, well, if I don't give, it won't really make a big difference. I want you to know a lot of people think we got like a, a mama church out there somewhere that's funding, funding what we're doing here. You need to hear because it's, it's helpful for some of us in our discipleship. We have no mama church giving us money down the street. In fact, everything that happens in ministry here at this church is fueled by the giving of the people in this church. Some of you business guys know what I'm talking about, business ladies. that We are not subsidized by anybody else. Everything that we're allowed to see happen here at Hope by his grace is fueled and funded by the people that are a part of this church. As God is generous to them, they live generously through this church, and we're able to see incredible things happen. But the inverse of that is also true. I want you to imagine something pretty scary for a moment if all of us in the same moment decided to stop giving to Hope Church. All of us decided in this big collusion, we're not all gonna stop giving through this church. What you need to hear is that ministry being fueled through this church would cease to exist. All the stories we hear, all the things we share if we all stop giving, you have to understand the ministry of God through this church would cease to exist. Now hear me, I did not say the ministry of God would cease to exist. He would be alive and well all over the world, but we would miss out as a church family on what he desires to do through us because in his sovereignty, he has chosen to resource the local church through the local church. And I just wanna say as the pastor here, I praise God For the faithfulness and the generosity of every single person that gives through this church. Because I believe we try to share it as much as possible. God is using your generosity. Using your sacrifice. Using your faithfulness. Trusting him with your resources to do incredible things. We shared last week. Las Vegas, the West, of the world, just some unbelievable ways God is fueling his mission through this local church called Hope. But the team actually put together some more snapshots just to show us. If you're here and go, man, I give through this church, we just wanna continue to wave the banner to say God is using your resources. So check out this video for another quick snapshot.
2: As you give, we are able to provide ministry environments to everyone who calls Hope Church home. From children to adults, we are able to create age-appropriate spaces for people to hear and respond to the gospel, to be discipled, and to grow in community. Your giving provides an opportunity for adults to come to a place where they can experience God in worship, hear His Word taught, and be sent out as missionaries to Las Vegas, the West, and the world. Through The Hub, we are able to serve the vulnerable population, walk with victims of sex trafficking, serve schools with resources, and stand in the gap with families in crisis. Your generosity is helping plant churches so people throughout the West can hear the message of Jesus. Across the globe, we get to partner with and support missionaries who are literally taking the gospel to the hardest and most unreached parts of the world. So when we say you don't give to a church, you give through a church, we mean it.
1: Hey, Praise God. Listen, here's what I want you to hear. If you give through this church, you are a part of everything you just saw on that screen and so much more. But I wanna make sure I frame this up correctly. Hear me. God does not need your money. I'm not over here saying God's going, yeah, you get them, Scott. I'm really stressing out about the offering Make sure you tell him strong Scott listen that is not the case our god owns the cattle on a thousand hills he owns it all he is not worried about your giving <laughs> however cuz some of you are thinking okay why are we talking about this then god really cares about your and i's heart towards the things that he's placed in our hands god really cares about how his kids handle his stuff. So when we ask the question, why should we give? This is why. This is why this is important. We don't wanna rob God and we don't wanna miss out on his invitation to be involved in his activity, but also we understand that as we give, as our heart is tuned towards him, we get to get in on some incredible, incredible things. So that's why we should give. Here is the second question we're going to ask and answer. How much should I give? How much should I give? Some of you are like, okay, I'm leaning in. Let's talk dollars and cents, man. What are we talking about here? How much should I give? Put simply, the New Testament doesn't give us a prescription, meaning you and I can't flip open a chapter and verse and find an exact dollar amount that you and I are to give. But the Bible does help us and frames up this conversation, starting in verse 10. Here's what it says. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Bring the full tithe. Many of you may know this, but this word tithe is a word that means 10th, literally 10%. People have debated over the years how that crosses over into the New Testament. We'll talk about that in just a moment. I feel some of you might be rising up on that. Hold on. In the Old Testament, though, we read very clearly that the law required people, the people of God to give 10%. But if you do the study, it's actually ended up being more than 10%, probably more than 20%. But some of you may be thinking, that was then, that was the law. And I read a verse one time that said, Jesus came to fulfill the law. So praise God, I don't have to deal with that 10% nonsense. I've been there. So what does the New Testament have to say about this idea of how much? You see, as we read about the New Testament community of followers of Jesus, we see verses all over the place talking about their radical generosity. For for the sake of time, I'll just give you one in Acts chapter 11, verse 29. Here's what it says. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability, that's important, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. All over the New Testament, we see followers of Jesus doing this idea. Everyone according to their ability. Literally, this could be translated, just as they prosper. What does that mean? It was a natural practice. It wasn't a conversation on if it should be happening. It was a regular practice in the New Testament that as God provided for his people, they just naturally were were giving radically and, and, and meeting needs all around them. They lived a practice of as God prospered, I give. Why is this important? Because I believe there's a fundamental principle that I think is really key for this conversation, and here it is. God is not impressed by the amount of our giving. He is pleased by the attitude of our giving. We see this in the scriptures, and we see this today. There are a lot of people, that have been blessed in this life. And they get a lot, give a lot of money, but honestly, their heart is not in it. Jesus called that out in his word. But then there were some people that didn't have anything. And in fact, they gave everything they have. Coming to mind is the, the widow's mite. Some of you may have heard that story. She gave everything she had, and Jesus highlighted that as radical, heartfelt generosity. Generosity. So if you're here today, and I just want to lovingly say this, if you're here today and you're thinking, do I, do I have to give 10%, I would say, if that's the posture of your heart, it's a, there's a magnifying glass of God's word over your heart right now to say, that's not the right posture. God, do I have to do this? That's not the correct posture. He's saying, as I've prospered you, you should have a practice as a follower of Jesus of giving out of that as a regular practice in life. There's a man named Randy Alcorn who wrote an incredible book that I can't recommend highly enough. If you're interested in more study on this idea of financial generosity or stewardship, he wrote a book called The Treasure Principle. As you can see, it's very small. You could probably read it in a couple days. But he started to to press into this idea of of New Testament giving and whether it's 10% or not that I thought was a really helpful quote. Here's what he said. Every New Testament example of giving goes far beyond the tithe. However, none falls short of it. You study the radical generosity of followers of Jesus in the New Testament. I believe we wouldn't be asking if we should give a certain percentage. We would all be challenged and humbled to probably invest more. As we study the New Testament, we are challenged by the way these followers of Jesus. Some had a lot, some had little radically gave to what God was doing in their midst. And I just wanna remind you, if you weren't here last week, this has been a journey for me personally. I did not grow up in the church. I did not grow up hearing about financial stewardship and biblical generosity. In fact, I'll just say, if I was in a church maybe for the first, second, third, fifth time, and somebody was on a stage talking about 10%, I would have said, you have lost your mind (laughs) And some of you are feeling that right now, it's okay. But I praise God for people around my life that continued to help me and disciple me and show me from the scriptures that I could trust God even with the little that I had. And I remember in those early days, about 18 years ago, when I took a step of faith and I said, God, I don't know how you're gonna work this out, but I wanna trust you in this way. And so for me, it started as a single college student. And then as my wife, Candace, and I got married, and like many young married couples, we were young, married, in love, and super broke. <laughs> we continued to trust God in this area. We started having kids everywhere, and all of a sudden, lots is happening. It's like, how is this working? But God just continued to show himself faithful. And for us, We set aside 10% of the first things that ever came in either of our lives, and we said, God, we don't understand how you're going to work it out because I could probably use this 10% over here, if you know what I mean, God. I'm going to set this aside as an act of faith. To say my first goes to you, and I'm just telling you, and I'm not the only one in the room. I'm looking around, and I'm seeing people that I know live this way. God continues to bless, and God continues to show Himself faithful, and He will take care of His kids. I hope you don't hear that today as a flex or a bragging pastor, as but as somebody who said, "I get it," and when I stepped out of the faith and by His grace, I saw Him do what He said He would do for centuries. God will take care of us if we just trust him and honor him and give first to what he is doing. That's why I believe God says something pretty wild at the end of verse 10. Let's read it. He says, bring the full tithe in the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test. You gotta know right there, that's the only place in all of the scriptures where God Almighty tells his people, you don't believe me, test me. That's a pretty big deal. If the, the God of heaven who owns it all, who's generously given to us, if he stands over heaven and say, you know, I know some of you are like, no way, it doesn't make any sense. He's saying, you can trust me. And in fact, I'll give you a challenge. Test me, watch and see what I will do. I know some of you are like, there's no way it doesn't make sense when you ask the question, how much should I give? Honestly, there's no answer for that, that I could be faithful to the scriptures and give you. You have to seek the Lord. But here's what I can tell you. Even when you seek the Lord and whatever you hear back doesn't make any sense, you can trust him. Because he said you can test him. Let me show myself faithful to my kids. I'll leave you in this conversation about how much with one more quote from Randy Alcorn. He says, if you can find a gateway to giving that's better than the tithe at 10%, wonderful. But if not, why not start where God started his first covenant people? I know this is challenging for us, but again, by way of discipleship, it's important for us to have this conversation as a church. And I know some of you may be thinking, no way. Get out of my head, God, there's no way. You actually may be asking question number 3. Can I really afford to give? I know some of you right now are thinking, can I afford to do this and I I'm just ask the Lord to to help you see that this is true not only me but so many other people in this church. I've learned over the years that that's not the question I ask because I realize I can't afford not to give. It's become so a part of me seeing God as faithful and good and true. It's been such a part of my formation to see God take care of us through all these years of ups and downs and highs and lows that I'm not asking, can I really afford to give? I'm saying I can't afford not to. I would never want to go away from what I've seen God do. I'm telling you, I know the economists and the financial advisors are gonna say, that doesn't make sense on paper, but you just gotta know the kingdom economy is different than what you can see on paper. And you can actually trust God with less. And I know that sounds crazy, but I can testify. You can trust God with less when you trust it into his capable and faithful hands. I've seen it time and time again. So many of these people around you have seen it time and time again. That's why he says at the very end of our passage, put me to the test, said the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven For you and pour down for you a blessing. I don't have time to go into this. We're we're running out of time. But this this word pour is a, a Hebrew word that literally means to empty out a container. It's it's our God opening the windows of heaven and just dumping it all on your life. I said to test me. I said if you trust me and honor me, I'm about to bless your socks off. I'm pouring it on you. Some of you have experienced that. But again, as we are blessed, it's important to remember we are never just blessed for ourselves. See, we live in a culture that that thinks that money is the means and the end. If I could just get enough paper at the end of my life and pass down from generation to generation, I made it. Listen, your money is not the end. Your money is the means, but there is a greater end. And for followers of Jesus, that greater end is what he is doing all over the world that you and I get to get in on. God does not bless us that we can sit back and say, look how blessed I am. In fact, Psalm 67, another banner verse here at Hope, in verse seven says, God blesses us, why? That all the ends of the earth may fear him. That word fear, by the way, does not mean be scared of, it means worship. So no matter if it's a lot or a little, why has God blessed you? So that the ends of the earth, Las Vegas, the West, the world, all the peoples of the earth would be worshiping our King, Jesus. This is why he blesses us us the goal of our giving is to see god's kingdom flourish grow be expanded that's why we should give joyfully we're not asking the question do i have to give we're saying tell me more how do i get in on that and that's exactly what paul in the new testament told the corinthian church in second corinthians he said you must decide in your heart how much to give this is so crucial And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Hear me right now. If any of you feel that after this message, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. That is not the heart of this church and that is not the heart of our God. It's not reluctantly or under pressure. God cares about your heart in this. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. Listen, this has nothing to do with compulsion or reluctance or, giving under pressure. In fact, we believe this so strongly at Hope Church. I'm about to say something that you may not ever hear in another church again in your life, but for 20 years we've said this. We believe what we just talked about so strongly, that if you're here today and you feel obligated to give for any reason other than joyfully understanding what God has put in your hands and wanting to get in on his activity and see him use it. If you wanna give for any reason other than that, hear my heart, please do not give. Because we wanna see people that are about the mission investing in this church. We wanna see some followers of Jesus who understand everything they have is not really theirs and they're still live with it on their fingertips to invest in God's kingdom. That's why Paul says, "Don't do this. don't do this under pressure. Give joyfully. I just believe because I prayed a lot about this message, prayed a lot in the back before we came out here. I believe there's some people in the room that are not feeling reluctance or pressure, but you're feeling something else that I felt 18 years ago. And it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That you've been sitting in these last two weeks, you've been wrestling with some things like I did. And for me, I had to take a step of faith to say, God, I understand you are working on my heart and convicting me to take a step of faith and trust you in this way. And I believe he will bless that. Understanding everything you have comes from him. Understanding he's given it to you for a reason. And maybe right now in, this, in his sovereignty for the last two weeks, you've just kind of been under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now I, I pray and I have prayed for you that you would see the freedom that's at the end of that obedience to what God's saying to you. And I'm not the only person. Candace and I are not the only people. We've seen hundreds and thousands of families throughout our 20 years have that same feeling in a service, just like this, feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit and saying, okay, God, I don't understand it, but I, I trust you. As we close today, I wanna show you one example of that through a couple named Dana and Shagufta. Watch their story.
3: Prior to meeting... Shagufta and I had been thriving in the 90s and early to mid-2000s in the real estate and mortgage industry. The real estate crash of 2007 and 2008 left us both with little to no income, me for about four years. At the time we married, I brought no income to the marriage. She brought debt. Stressful to be sure. We were hemorrhaging financially, spending what retirement savings we had to survive. She began working temp jobs, and I was still attempting to work in the mortgage industry. But there was a whole lot more month than there was money. Tithing just seemed out of the question.
0: It really was a crazy time. We lived it with as much joy as we could draw from the Lord, but when you don't know what next month is gonna hold, you could either trust the Lord more, or you could trust Him less. And to be honest, I think we were probably trusting Him less. And then it happened. Dana was in California taking care of an ill parent. I was here in Vegas. It was a Sunday in January 2010, about 13 years ago. The church was meeting at Silverado High at the time. I was there in the seat that Dana and I usually sat in, and Pastor Vance was preaching a message. It was called In God We Trust. It was about what God says about money. He was talking about storing up treasures in the right place and the importance of tithing as a way to work out our trust in God, and right then in the middle of his sermon, minute 25, I kid you not, the Lord tapped me on the chest and convinced me through the words of that message that I really could trust him. And I knew something had happened and I needed to talk to my husband. So as soon as the service was over, I called Dana. I shared with him what the Lord had laid on my heart and I heard a very convicted sigh on the other end of the line. And that's when we both learned that the Lord had been working on both of our hearts about the same issue at the same time. With an income of next to nothing, with bills piling up and being paid out of a dwindling savings account, I wrote a tithe check on my husband's (laughs) and my behalf. It should have been a scary moment, And, and though it was, it also was not, because Dana and I both knew what we had been avoiding to recognize, that in God, we really can trust, or he's not God.
3: I wish we could say we expected what came next, but we underestimated God's faithfulness by miles. Neither of us can explain why we have enough today. Only that by the grace of God and despite many, many not so perfect decisions on our part, we do. Most importantly, though, we live with the joy and the peace of knowing that we are somehow miraculously living in his will, by his power, and through his grace.
0: For us, it's been a miracle of the heart Mm. as much as a miracle of the wallet. And we are living testimony of the goodness of God. I know I, for one, am so grateful that then, just as now, the team at Hope Church was preaching the word of God that day. And not what
1: I wanted to hear. Amen. Thank you, Hope Church. Amen. I'm out of time. Here's what I believe the Lord has for this moment. I believe some of you are wrestling, and I think that's a good place to be. If you're a follower of Jesus today and you're wrestling with some of these truths, maybe because you're because you're not living it, maybe because you you were at one time, but stuff happens lost a job, medical bills piling up, whatever it may be, and you've, you've gone away from what you know the Bible and Jesus has called you to as a follower of him. This time every week in our service is just a time for us to respond. Whatever the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. I thought to help you maybe process that, maybe some of you just need more information about finances and how to handle them God's way. We, we mentioned earlier in our service. We have a class coming up called Financial Peace University. This is an amazing class. Dave Ramsey's principles. I mean, it's like so amazing to see a lot of what we talked about over these two weeks, over several weeks, where you're in a classroom environment and you're learning and wrestling with other people, wrestling with the same things you are. So maybe your next step today is continue to pray and then trust God and sign up for that class. Maybe that could be something you want to do. But I think for others, you are where I was. Where I knew I need to trust God in this way. And for me, like I said, it was was 10%. But maybe for you, maybe it's 2%. Maybe it's 5%. I don't want to fill in a blank that the Holy Spirit might have already filled in in your life. The question is, even if it makes you a little bit uneasy, are you willing to trust God? That's the question I had to ask. I praise God for the people in my life at the time that challenged me to ask those questions. But what if you what if you did what Malachi 3 says and put God to the test? He tells you to. Say, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this for 12 months, but God, I'm, I'm real scared. I, I'm opening my hands, but they're also kind of trembling a little bit because I wanna close them. I get it. What if you were to trust God? And maybe for some of you, you know, 10% is not off the table and that might be where God is leading you. I can't fill in the blanks, but whatever it is, what if you said, God, I'm gonna do do this for 12 months. I'm gonna test you like you said. I'm telling you, I can't wait to show your story one day. I can't wait to show people the faithfulness of God in your life as you trust him and honor him in this way. So however God is leading, would you follow? But like I said, maybe there's some of you that used to live these principles out. And for whatever reason, there's just been things in your life that, You need to have a conversation with the Lord to say, bring me back, Lord. I used to walk in this way. I used to trust you in this way. And Lord, help me now open those hands like we do every week. There'll be pastors up here. We had some people down here just wanting prayer for that very thing last service. The altar's open if you just need to get with the Lord. However he is leading you to respond, let's be obedient to his call. If You're here and earlier when I talked about the generosity of our God and you want to talk to somebody about what it means to know Jesus and follow him, we would love to have that conversation. That is an amazing conversation to have. However God's leading, let's respond in obedience. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's hard, but it's so good. Whatever you're leading right now, every person in the room, God, would they follow in obedience? We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand and let's worship together today.